we had a, a, a mentor in our life really early on, probably in our mid-20s, sat us down and said, it's so important that you teach a generation to become what they've never received. One of our dreams for the campus said, what if we created a, a camp and we created an environment where they didn't just drink from our well of revival, but they realized that their heart could become a well of revival they could drink from the rest of their life. And, and so our, our focus was help, to help them dig the well of their own intimacy with God, their own friendship with their Holy Spirit, their own connection with Jesus so that fire could stay burning throughout the year. And that really has become, that's kind of the value of our discipleship is that we don't want to teach them to need us as leaders. We want to teach them to need the Holy Spirit inside them. You're listening to The Beautiful Pursuit, and I'm your host, Antoinette MacDonald. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of The Beautiful Pursuit, featuring Jonathan, David, and Melissa Helser. I chatted with the Helsers a few weeks ago. We had an incredible conversation, a deep, long one. For this reason, there are two parts to this interview. You're listening to Part 1, Building Family and Ministry. I've heard Jonathan say before that the more heaven comes to earth, the more earth looks like family. I love that so much of what they speak about in building a ministry is much like building a family. I've known the Halses since 2010. I was part of a team that brought them out to South Africa for two worship schools in Johannesburg, one in 2011 and one in 2012. In 2015, I visited them in North Carolina and attended their adult retreat for three life-changing days. In 2016, my husband and some of our dearest friends did the same. We are all forever changed by their lives and ministry to our hearts. Many are familiar with the Hulse's ministry, A Place for the Heart. Others know them by association with Bethel Music and their popular song, No Longer Slaves. I kicked off this interview by asking Jonathan to give context to their lives and ministry by summarizing what they've given themselves to. Yeah, um, well, it, now it seems like there's so many different facets to our life, but our life still really does seem beautifully simple because we have, since we've been married, we're coming up on 18 years mm. this April. Come um, on. <laughs> we've really been rooted in the same place these whole 18 years in a little town in the middle of North Carolina called Sophia which Sophia actually means wisdom, Um, Mm. but it's a small little town. We just got our first stoplight a few months ago. Uh, (laughs) We're surrounded by the woods in the hills of North Carolina. And me and Melissa, the year we got married, my parents had started a ministry in these woods called A Place for the Heart. It was on 50 acres of land. uh, And by the time me and Melissa got married, we had built our first cabin And they said, what if we hosted a summer camp this summer and you and Melissa can do it and we'll be behind you cheering you on because they were approaching their early 60s at that point. They were getting older. And so our first year married, me and Melissa hosted a summer camp for teenagers. We had 20 teenagers come out and it was a whole weekend around creativity, worship and them encountering the presence of Jesus. 
And I'm not sure who got wrecked more, the teenagers or us, but we, our lives truly got ruined by watching these young hearts have a collision with the love of God. And we did seven years of those summer camps. The summer camps turned into a school that we called the 18-inch journey. And we just finished our 10th year of the 18-inch journey. Hmm. We had, um, I think, over 10 nations here. I know we had two incredible South Africans here. Hmm. And... We've had over 500 students and uh, retreaters and campers come through the 18-inch journey in the last 10 years. And that's really in our backyard. We've built a house here on the land, and we have 20 on staff now. Hmm. And we've also started a collective called the Cageless Birds, which is uh, everything from coffee roasting to leather making to music and books, a collective to inspire a generation in freedom. Wow. That's beautiful. You know, I think I shared this with you once or twice before, and it's really a large part of why I want to chat to you about uh, legacy and inheritance and a wonderful dream where um, Rowan and I, my husband, walked on, on land, uh, on, like, almost like on a, on a hill with a city and oceans below, and you guys were showing us your inheritance, and there was a zebra on the land, and suddenly Mel said, wow, that's weird, never seen that before, and I woke up, and I think... It's one of the reasons why we've watched so closely. It's like the Lord highlighted this beautiful community on the other side of the world that spoke a language that resonated so deep in our hearts. But there's something that you do, and I've experienced it when I've been to your retreat, and and my husband has as well. You're generationally minded, which is so beautiful and refreshing. And maybe you can chat through what that is. You're not just parenting your own two beautiful children. You're parenting and in some ways, I guess, reparenting a generation. What is inheritance? What is legacy? What is, why do you think that that way? Wow, that's good. It's a deep question. <laughs> I, think, I think me and Jonathan were so privileged, you know, to, to get married so young. And a year in, we got pregnant and then had Cadence, our firstborn. And I think the the merging of becoming actual parents and then pouring into young people um, just really lit a, a fire really deep in us for just the longevity and sustainability of a generation. Um, we had a, a, a mentor in our life really early on, really um, probably in our mid-20s, sat us down and said, it's so important that you teach a generation to become what they've never received. Mm. And I think that that was a definite marker point for both of us Um, because, you know, everyone's waiting for the gray haired old man to come and father them, you know, and speak pearls of wisdom and give them everything that they might not have received in the natural with their own father. And I, I think just in a, in a society, the culturally where you know, lineage and legacy and inheritance is really, there's a part of it that's really disintegrating, you know, and just our families thriving. Um, We've just seen this unbelievable, just fruit really, when you just start getting people on board with the longevity of walking with Jesus Mm. and that what what we actually are fighting for is the day, the moment, what we're living in right now, But it's also, we're fighting for our children's children's children, you know, like, and I think that sustainability piece has become such a huge driving force 
um, for what we're passionate about because I don't want to just, you know, I want to live in the moment um, fully present, you know, with my kids and, and my, my family, the kingdom family. But I also am, I'm planting seeds that hopefully my grandchildren and great-grandchildren will one day eat the fruit, you know, of our life. And I, I think that actually young adults really get that language when you start Mm-hmm. And you start using language like sustainability, you know, because it sustainability at its core is the moment. It's so micro and macro, you know, like it's mm-hmm. we we're right in this moment, fully present. But we're also thinking about the generations that are coming behind us. And what I press into in this moment, whether it's kindness or grace or mercy, what I practice in this moment, I actually am planting seeds for the future generations to eat from. And so mm. I think it's really become a driving force like that teaching, you know, a generation to become what they have not received because there are so many broken people that are mm. longing really for more than anything to understand yeah. what it's like to be parented in a healthy way, you know, and to actually being able to introduce them to the true heart of the father you know, mm-hmm. in, in the holy in the friendship of the Holy Spirit. And actually we don't outgrow our need for parenting, right? Yeah. Like we outgrow our need for our natural parents, but we never outgrow our need for the mm. Trinity, for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow. You um it's it's beautiful what you've just said. You know, you, I I would imagine spending so much time with young adults from all over the world, you have come to notice um, things over the years and I would imagine if you were to reflect on your one's group of adults and your ten's group of young adults that you would maybe see some I don't know do you see big changes I mean what's encouraging about being with young adults and what's kind of alarming I guess the challenges that are facing the youngsters now that didn't face them ten years ago or vice versa Yeah, I think one thing that's so encouraging about young adults is they don't have as much to unlearn. Um, Hmm. You know, uh, there's there's such a freshness and you you see the disciples that Jesus gathered around them. Some of them were such young guys uh, because they were so fresh and they were so wide-eyed. And I love that part of them, how impressionable they are. And the uh, and just one moment in God's presence, one word from His lips can change them forever. Mm. I think I think the biggest challenge, and that's the beautiful part of the school, is that they do leave the noise of the world. I think this is the loudest, um, the the most noise a generation has ever faced. Um, from morning to night, you can have news brought to your phone. Uh, you can find out what everyone thinks about the picture you just posted, if they like it or don't like it. And so there's all, the, all these noises competing for the voice of a father who wants to define who they are. Yeah. And so getting them out of the noise of the world and then getting them to hear the father's voice. Uh, but when that happens, it's like, okay, everything's just changed. But mm. sometimes it takes a while for them to turn off those other noises. Yeah. yeah I, think one, I think one thing that we've really just that's so um, impactful is being able to really teach them how to tend to their heart. You know, mm. I think we were a very gifted driven, driven culture and 
Um, this is what I can do for you um, to bring significance to my own life. And I think teaching them to tend the garden of their own heart for the longevity of actually just, you know, this human life, this human experience, which is such a gift. I, I remember walking one day and it was one of those just heavy days where you're like, what is this all for? You know, like, you're just <laughs> like why are we doing this? It's these cycles of life and death and joy and trauma and, mm. and all of it. And I, and I just was walking for a really long time, you know, just waiting for the Lord to, to bring clarity. And I just like, God, just like, what is it for? I just kept asking, asking. He was super silent. And right at the very end, because we walk a lot, because we have a lot of woods and it was coming up on my house. And I just quietly heard the Holy Spirit say, I really just thought you would enjoy it. Mm. And it hit me so deep. And I just realized like, oh my gosh, like to teach a generation how to actually enjoy this human experience mm. and to walk fully in the nature of Jesus, you know, to, to continue to shed disappointment and bitterness and, mm. you know, all of the opinions and assumption and cynicism, like to actually teach them to, to live a life where they're shedding all that yeah. and tending to the garden of their heart. Um, you know, it, it's difficult, but at the same time, everybody wants to thrive. Sure. You know, so you start getting, if you can, I think what we've seen, if we can go beyond giving them just a message and a theological idea, but actually giving them practical tools mm. on how to thrive in life, like, you know, not just when they're 22, but when they're married and when they have their first baby and you're up in the middle of the night and you're losing your mind, you know, and you're, and you're, you're crying out to the Lord in a different circumstance. Yeah. And to be able to, for them to have tools to actually find him in those moments and, and to live a life where the 99%, where they're really thriving in those 99% moments. Mm. You know, I think they actually respond really beautifully and are like, finally, someone's just telling me how to do it, Mm. you know, instead of just giving me a message, they're actually telling me how, the how to, like, how do I thrive? Yeah. We met you first when you were in South Africa and then, and we met some of your team, your beautiful staff. Um, And then to come onto your land a few years later and see them and see the the men and women they'd grown into um, and, and witness the wholeness um, of your community. It, it, it's something so beautiful um, and such a great privilege, such a highlight of, of my life at least, and I know my husband's life, but I mean, even, even a young guy who came out of our community who came to, to the 18-inch journey, he left a boy and he came home a man. It's this beautiful place of, of learning how to you know, be in, in the Father, be in Jesus, do life with the Holy Spirit. But hey, here's some really practical, beautiful handles and tools. Um, it's, it's a mark of, of who you guys are and what you bring to the world. Maybe you can talk through just some of those practical things. I know you speak about rhythms so often. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, we had a a real father in our life speak recently into us. Uh, it was actually a few years ago and it was right as the school was really starting to just, you know, people finding out about the school from all over. It was definitely hidden for the first five years of the school, 
we would uh we would accept like anybody that would apply <laughs> and we've had the privilege recently of being able to be really selective and, and choose the students through applications but in those first few years we were just we started with nothing and um but he said to us a few years ago he said many people are going to come and ask for your model like we want to plant this school on this place in the world and do this here and there and he said don't give them models give them your values because values can be planted anywhere in the world Um, models don't necessarily work everywhere but values can be replanted and i think one of our greatest values and what the students walk into that is the most life-changing is we've said this that we're found by a father but we're formed in a family Mm. and we've been found by this father of extravagant kindness and then he puts us in the beautiful tension of family Mm. and his proverb says iron sharpens iron Mm. and as we're immersed in the family um, we begin to see who we are Um, my dad said to me and Melissa when we got married he said you know marriage one of the hardest parts of marriage is that your spouse will become your mirror they will reflect to you who you are uh, which there's a wonderful side to that and there's a really um, challenging side to that in the sense that your spouse will show you your blind spots, your weaknesses, uh, the places that you couldn't see about yourself that the Father actually wants to transform through the power of the cross. Mm. And uh, that is the challenge. And I cannot imagine being married without the cross, being able to run to this place of transformation when mm. we see our, our blindness and our weakness and our sin. Mm. But then there's also a, an incredible side to our spouse being our mirror, and that is that they reveal to us uh, greatness that we didn't know was inside of us. Uh, they challenge us to step beyond our fear and insecurity into the fullness of who God's dreamed us to be. And really, um, that's what so much of what the students walk into here is the power of a family fighting for them. Mm-hmm. seeing their weakness, seeing their blind spots, but also seeing the greatness that they can't see and creating a table where we encourage them and call out the greatness inside of them. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets as practical as uh, the, because the students are here 24-7, um, it's usually in the non-spiritual moments that the, uh, the stuff comes out. Uh, <laughs> and we get to have those beautiful correction moments. Um, you know, hey, you know the other day when we were in work duties and the way you reacted? Uh, that's not really who you are. There's, there's, a, there's a better place for you to live. And it's mm. in those moments, I think, in those very day-to-day mundane moments that the most life-changing discipleship happens. Mm. And so you go, oh, that's why Jesus' pattern for changing the world was to have 12 guys live with him for three years, to do day in, day out life together. And it was in that, um, it was in that day in, day out that heaven rubbed into earth, and earth was never the same. Hmm. What does discipleship look like for you guys personally, like your own discipleship and then the discipleship, I guess, of the Cageless Birds, your team? I mean, our, our rhythms definitely at, at the farm with our team, um, you know, we go in and out of seasons of schools and pouring out and then we pull back into um, the rhythms of the cages birds where we are creating. I think we've had the privilege of most of our team, if not all of our team, um, our writers or artists or you know, songwriters, worship leaders, photographers, um, we definitely attract uh the creatives, you know, so 
so much of our, you know, why we started the Cage Whispers was to facilitate um, beautiful rhythms of creating um, work and, uh, you know, books and music and all that stuff to actually create a space for them to not just, because I think even in, you know, Christian culture, it's like the higher thing is to do ministry. And I, I just disagree. I think the higher thing is to live a life totally submitted Mm. to the nature of Jesus so that whether you're a businessman or an artist or, you know, you work at a local restaurant, like when you bring the presence of Jesus into anything you do, you change atmospheres and therefore you walk out the ministry of Jesus. So good. I think for us, it's been really important that our discipleship doesn't look like um, just you know, sitting around having a prayer meeting or counseling or, you know, just worshiping all day, even though we do all those things, like Jesus's model was so life on life. And so when we, you know, our discipleship with our team, especially, you know, just looks like a consistency of loving and feasting and working hard and Mm. um, dreaming and taking risk and trying new things like a couple years ago we were like let's let's write a book that's actually a collaborative effort from our community Mm. um and we started it for our students and then it just people kept wanting to buy it and it's the first thing we've ever actually put our language of discipleship into Mm. and the fathers just blessed it and it's it's been a huge risk you know you even just trying to gather that kind of material and and work hard and then just paying to get it printed in an age where people aren't really buying books as much anymore. You know, like Mm. even part of that has been such a huge part of our discipleship because taking risk is such a kingdom principle, right? Like to step out, to dream huge and whether we fail or succeed, the whole process is actually, you know, part of the reward is, mm. you know, they're like, what if we did this? And then what if we did that? And then the <laughs> mistakes that happen along the way and so good. the parts where it just totally falls apart, you know, and they just epically fail, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and you get, to, and for me and Jonathan, we actually get to practice. Like, what does it look like to lead like Jesus? What does it look like to actually, for there to be a consequence, but for there to be grace for You know, for I love Graham Cook said recently to us, he said, grace is not undeserved favor. It's actually the empowering presence to change. Mm. I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's going to change the way we lead, you know, because it is you you're walking out this all of these foundational, um, you know, rhythms of the kingdom of the gospel message. But if you don't walk them out in everyday life, you don't actually empower people to live a life that's totally submitted to Jesus and I think we've just found that as a whole like at our school it's not enough to just sit in a room and talk about how amazing Jesus is Mm. you know if we don't actually walk it out with them and and that's why we have so many rhythms and why the school you know there's creative rhythms and they have to take risks when they choose a collective which might be darkroom photography or pottery or screen printing or dance or writing Um, They do that, you know, for six to nine hours a week. Everyone Mm. takes art, whether they like it or not, because it's in those moments where they have to take a risk Mm. that they actually come face to face with the fear 
that's crippled them their whole life in a simple art project, you know? And then we, that's when we actually get to say, okay, like you can, because we can all get in the presence of corporate worship or, you know, a meeting type setting. And you just feel like, oh my gosh, I could conquer the world. Yeah. But then when you leave and you, you know, you get in a fight with your friend or you can't actually sit at a table with your parents without it being tense. Yeah. Like that's where, you know, the discipleship actually takes flesh and it's like okay can we act can I actually walk out Mm. this grace message when it's super hard and I don't understand can I walk out you know saying no to fear and being led by anxiety when I have to create this simple little project Mm. Mm. and I'm totally paralyzed that Mm. I'm gonna fail it you know when when that stuff comes out you know I think it's that's when I get really excited when they just (laughs) totally freak out and fall apart over the simplest task over stitching like, a leather oh. journel exactly <laughs> you've been there yeah i've been there done you know, it. that's why we that's why we do it because it's it, it, you don't even realize what you actually are dealing with until you're walking out life so and jesus just so did good. that he just modeled this life on life theme so mm. i think our discipleship in in seasons of actual schools retreats and then mm. in, in off seasons you know it it looks like actually finding God in the 99% of our life mm. and then actually practicing his grace and his mercy and his kindness and self-control mm. it's it looks like practicing everything we teach or all the songs that we sing about like what does it look like to impart that you're no longer a slave to fear when you've got a kid just trying to finish a project for, you know, for for a day in in, in the 18-inch journey, and they they're paralyzed with fear over mm-hmm. something so simple, you know, you start giving them tools on how to conquer those simple mm-hmm. moments of life. Then when the big moments come, it actually they're ready for it. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. instead of focusing on these huge moments. And then in between moments, they're failing every day, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're being led by anxiety and fear. And wow. But you teach them to actually get traction in those in the tiny little moments. Mm. Then when the big moments come, it's like, I'm ready for this. I was built for this. I was made for this. Mm. And, and they just start soaring. And, that, you know, that's really the reward, I think. Oh, it's so beautiful, you know? I, I think I can't help but think back to a moment sitting in your in your worship barn and trying to stitch a leather journal and manifesting. Um, (laughs) And just, I guess, such a, what looks like such a simple moment of whatever is actually this deep moment where you come to face to face with your own issues of perfectionism and your own inadequacies. (laughs) And, and then you get, you you know, I guess your beautiful trip and tool um, help, help me land in a space of, of, of the Lord's voice, which is just like, you can enjoy this. You can enjoy life or you can live wound up and everything has to be perfect. I mean, it's, and it's those moments that I, exactly like you say, I, I think of the youngsters, the young adults. And when I was a young adult, like you, you go through the system of life, like you go to school, you must achieve this, you must do that, you know, yeah. You must knock off all these big milestones, finish school well so you can get into university or college, as you guys call it. But actually, you know, unless there there are those moments where you're learning how to cultivate a relationship, a real true and deep relationship with the Lord and hear His voice, 
cheap as you can get to 21, 22. And yeah, you might hold a degree in your hand, but you don't have a cooking clue who you are. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah how, how do you, in, in those small groups and um, on your retreats and at your school, how do you open up connection and depth um, in that space for these things to happen? I think it starts really with just building trust. And I think um, we had a, a friend recently say, you know, that the school, the success of the Achieve's journey is going to be directly related to the success and, and the growth and the fruit of your friendships here. And he was speaking to our staff. And mm. I think the, the deeper, I mean, we saw it this year as a, you know, a decade in. Um, it felt like, you know, every year it's, this is the best school we've ever had. <laughs> but truly this year, I looked around and I thought, wow, our team is in a different place. Mm. And we are practicing vulnerability and trust 24 seven, 365 days a year. We're practicing conflict and mm. conflict resolve and brave communication and, and all those things. And I think the deeper we actually give ourselves to those kingdom rhythms of, of loving and living life and serving each other and not being afraid of the things that are really tense. Mm-hmm. Um, it cre- actually created a deeper place of trust, if that makes sense. When the totally. students got here, it was like, it was game on. Cause our, you know, the first phase of the 18th century is only two months. So we have to be really strategic in building trust from the first moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, even on the application, it's some that's some of the stuff we're looking for the most is, are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to go the distance? Are you willing to to be corrected because you have leaders that love you enough to tell you the truth, you know, and mm-hmm. and to actually speak into the the blind spots in in your life, you know, and I think just the trust would be just huge, you know, I mean, it is. Yeah. It is the worship sets, it is the teaching, it's the presence that's created in those corporate moments. But I would say mostly it's mealtime, um, it's work duties, where mm. they're just with the staff and with leadership in really normal moments, which most yeah. of them have never been with a leader in a normal moment of life. Mm. Uh, they've never seen that, they've never experienced it. And I think that life on life, just those really simple moments of, you know, mowing or taking out trash or cleaning the kitchen or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and they're actually with a leader doing it. It mm. just breaks down all of their, you know, all the stuff that I can't trust leadership or this isn't a safe place. Mm. So I think everyone has that to a degree. But the more we we just actually create an atmosphere of, of the presence of God. And, and that doesn't look like when school starts. It actually looks like the six months beforehand, you know, when we're... <laughs> When we're like just doing, we're working hard together and we're hitting conflict. Yeah. I think the, the more we can create that before they ever get here, it actually creates a level of just trust in the atmosphere, which I mm. think we take for granted a lot. Like what we create beforehand is as powerful as what we create mm. in the moment. And that's has to go beyond just a prayer meeting, you know? Yeah. It, that's the like the 95% that you're just living every single day. And, the authenticity, yeah, totally. It, what? Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining families or, or parents who listen to this, 
and they they go, how do I do that in my own home? How do we do that? How do how do we have meal time together when we've been disconnected or haven't been vulnerable? I, I think like our our culture is almost allergic to vulnerability. Like we want it, but we totally don't. Yeah. What do what do you guys have to say to those families who are hearing this and are like, we want to start afresh? Man, I think my passion, our passion, more than schools or discipleship programs or whatever we do, is definitely our the unit that is our family and home. And I think the most beautiful thing is that the more whole me and Jonathan become, the more whole our children become, even, you know, they're 15 and 12. Um, and it's just stunning to watch, like, the more we press into wholeness, mm. it is a direct reflection on our children. Like, it's, it's almost instantaneous because they're watching us 24 hours a day. I love that. The more whole I become, the more whole my children become. We have a responsibility first to our own hearts, to our own wholeness. We can't give away what we don't have. It's not enough to say, be kind to yourself, and then we beat ourselves up when we make a mistake. So good. Because what we actually do to ourselves is more powerful mm. than what we actually tell them to do to themselves. The way we treat ourselves is more powerful than the way we teach them to treat themselves, right? And I think the more vulnerable me and Jonathan become, the more willing we become to, to open up our heart. As a mom, it just starts super, super simple. And it's practicing very small things. We had, I had a moment with my daughter, Haven. She's been taking horseback riding. Mm-hmm. And um, it was time for her to transition to, to group lessons. And, you know, she was, she's definitely more like Jonathan. She's just the introvert. And she's like, I really don't want to do group lessons. And I'm like, I think it's going to be really good for you, you know? And she's like, I just don't want to do it. I want to stay in private lessons. And, and at that point, you're like, do I force her? And I just felt, again, like my favorite thing, key for parenting is just being led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just like, Holy Spirit, what do I do? And he's like, you just let me take care of it. I'm like, okay. And I told Haven, I'm like, you should just go on a walk and talk to the Holy Spirit and just ask him what's really going on. You know, that's the simplified version of what we would teach to our students. Like yeah. to just stop. And instead of just plowing through life, just ask the Holy Spirit, who is the greatest helper. It's what Jesus died to give us, was a helper, mm. that we wouldn't be alone. You know, he swallowed up loneliness forever when he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, he said, you, you're, you're going to need a helper forever. You know, so that's our honor, not our shame, that we need a helper. Mm. And so a simplified version would be what I did with Haven. You know, why don't you just go on a walk and ask the Holy Spirit? And I've been teaching her that, both of my kids that were really little, to just depend on the Holy Spirit. And the Lord told me that when they were really little. He said, if you teach them to need me, they'll need me forever. They mm-hmm. will outgrow their need for you, but they will never outgrow their need for me. And oh, beautiful. <clears throat> so she left, you know, I didn't really think anything else. She came back and she's like, I'm, I think you're right. I'm, I want to do the group lessons. And I was like, <sighs> okay, like, what did the Lord say? And she's like, that I don't need to be afraid. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, great. And she's like, great, I'm ready. Let's do it. 
<laughs> and it was that simple. It wasn't this heavy, like yeah. praying and, you know, speaking in tongues and <laughs> casting out the spirit of fear. It wasn't anything like that. It was actually just simplicity of like, hey, like, why don't you just talk to the Holy Spirit? He really wants to help mm-hmm. give you wisdom and discernment right now. And she ended up doing the lesson and loving it. It was like, she's like, that was my favorite lesson I've ever had. And I was like, oh, she's like, the Lord knows me so well. Oh, man. And then I'm like, I didn't even teach her that. Mm-hmm. Right. She just, that was her perception from being met by the Lord and something really simple. So good. There's so much in that story that I love and take away into my own life and parenting journey. It's our badge of honor, not our mark of shame, to need the helper, the Holy Spirit. To teach our children who will outgrow their need for us, to need God, to rely on Him, to call on Him in the small things every day, so that when the big things crop up, they are empowered in their relationship with Him, to make good choices, to choose life. I think too, finding out, um, again, this is with values, like how do you plant values into your home in an intentional way? Mm-hmm. Like for us, the value of Thanksgiving, how do we, how do we grow Thanksgiving in our family? Uh, our gratitude, how do we grow gratitude? And one of the, one of the really intentional things we, we do from time to time is when we're sitting at a table together, is all right let's all go around and from the last the last day or the last week or a lot of times at the end of a vacation we'll say what were your what are the five uh things you're the most thankful for from this vacation and we've had moments with our kids like oh we don't want to do that we don't want to do that but as we've done it more and more and it's actually fluid and there's life and there's joy and there's spontaneity in it it's become a well-worn path to the father Mm. And it's become a well-worn path to, to encountering heaven. And, um, and then when you, as you teach your kids these paths, be willing for them to teach them back to you. Because I had this moment, <laughs> I had this moment the other day. Um, you know, we're running late to get to uh, this really important meeting and the kids are with us and I'm huffing and I'm puffing. And I'm getting them in the car and I'm, I'm backing out of the driveway with uh, just a lot of... Uh, anxiety and Cadence just puts his hand on my arm. He's like, Dad, I think this would be a good time for you to say five things you're thankful for. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and it was, I was like, okay, we have just created a well-worn path. Like he knows the path to access heaven and to access Thanksgiving that crushes anxiety. So and good. I just, I put the car in park and I said, you're right. And I, and I learned from him uh, what I had taught him. Mm-hmm. And I just said five things out loud I was thankful for. And at that moment, like gratitude became a weapon to, to chase anxiety out of the home and out of my life, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, I think just asking the father, what are intentional things we can do as a family? Um, for us, the dinner table is a, is a really holy place, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we just try to never bring our phones to the dinner table because uh, it can be so easy to look at those screens and not look at each other in the eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and what are the holy places in your home that are set apart? That's what the word holy means, to be set apart and to set apart those times. Hey, this is Jonathan. 
and Melissa Helser. And you're listening to The Beautiful Pursuit. How do you mentor your own team and monitor your growth and progress? Yeah, I think one of the things you said, you asked earlier, like, what is our, what is one of our focuses in discipleship? And even when students or even guests come to our retreat, I I remember the first summer camp we did, um, we were seeking the Lord before the camp started. And I grew up at a summer camp. Uh, that my dad pastored, and every summer we'd go up to the mountains in North Carolina, and uh, and just encounter God. But I, I was the kid that would get saved every summer, and then come back home, <laughs> and then go back to school and have a tough year, and then get saved again next summer. <laughs> and uh, I, so my whole high school years, I was just getting saved every summer. And one of our dreams for the campus said, "What if we created a a camp, and we created an environment where." They didn't just drink from our well of revival, but they realized that their heart could become a well of revival they could drink from the rest of their life. Yeah. And and so our, our focus was help to help them dig the well of their own intimacy with God, their own friendship with their Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. their own connection with Jesus mm-hmm. so that fire could stay burning throughout mm-hmm. the year. And that really has become, that's kind of the value of our discipleship is that we don't want to teach them to need us as leaders. We want to teach them to need the Holy Spirit inside them. Uh, We're always there to help. We're always there to help guide them and lead them, but to teach them their own neediness for God, Mm. um, that they wouldn't just need our well, but they would discover the well that's in their heart. Mm. If that makes sense. Totally. And um, so, so much of our discipleship has become that in the sense of even we'll do, we do evaluations with our staff each year. And in our evaluations, um, we actually give them a set of questions and we, we, we change the questions every year. But we, we have them go ask God questions. What is the upgrade you have for me in this next season? Uh, what is the, uh, the one fear you want me to overcome this next year? What is the, mm. the next part of my story look like? And they're actually journaling and writing that out on their own mm. um, before we actually meet with them. And usually they're going to write down the weakness we've already seen, and we're just partnering with the Holy Spirit in their discipleship, mm. um, if, if that makes sense. Totally. And that's just been, but that's a very intentional thing. Like it, I, I, some of our staff, the first time they do an evaluation, they're so intimidated and like, oh my gosh, I'm doing an evaluation. <laughs> and they, they get to the end of it and they're like, oh my gosh, I've never felt so loved, so pursued, so fought for. Um, even when we're talking about the hard things in their life. Uh, because they're, we are partnering with the story the Father's telling. It's a, it's mm. a beautiful part. I hope you enjoyed part one, Building Ministry and Family with Jonathan and Melissa Helser, and feel inspired on your own beautiful pursuit. I can't wait to share part two with you next month where the Helsers speak about thriving in every season. In part two, Melissa and Jonathan share vulnerably about Melissa's years of illness. It's an incredible insight into the power of friendship with the Lord. Thank you for listening. There are detailed notes about this episode on our website, www.thebeautifulpursuit.com. Take a look there and leave us a review on iTunes or comment on our Facebook, Instagram or website. A special thanks to Sean Williams for his original compositions. 
and production on this episode. You can visit Sean and Janine Williams on Facebook for more. For more on the Helses, visit the Cageless Birds website or BethelMusic.com. Until next time.